This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast, Thursday, January the 11th, the one where Tom got obsessed with the Stanley Cup. More on that to come. We've also been looking at the big visit. Uh, UAE leadership into India, the economic knock-on effects of that, and the economic knock-on effects of what's going on in the Red Sea when it comes to air cargo. We've been speaking to Kashif Khalid. He's the regional director for IATA. He's also been telling us, whisper it, good news, that air ticket prices might finally be softening. Uh, Speaking of getting from A to B, or at least coming here, uh, Dubai's topped yet another list of where to go in your spare time. Tom's been speaking to Hor Al-Khaja, who's the Senior Vice President for Operations at Dubai's Department of Economic and Tourism, about that. And we've been having a look at some rare red arrows when it comes to rents in the last six months here in Dubai. Not on the price, but we already knew that, but when it comes to transaction volumes. John Lyons is the Managing Director of Espace Real Estate. He's been putting that in context for us. Right, Dina, you've been looking at the UAE visit to India recently. Yeah, we all have, haven't we? Because the UAE president, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, has been there. Big powwow happening in Gujarat at the moment. We've been getting the thoughts of Ed Bell of Emirates MBD. He's been following it closely. We asked him for his key takeaways. There are a few bilateral agreements signed between the UAE and India yesterday covering sectors like renewable energy, health, and the food processing sectors. On the occasion of the visit of the UAE's President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed to India. Back in May 2022, the UAE and India entered into a SEPA or a Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement to try and enhance trade between both countries. If we look at the last fiscal year for India, total trade between the two countries was about $85 billion. And for the first six months of India's 2023 fiscal year, total imports to India from the UAE stood at about $25 billion. So those are the thoughts of Lord Bell this morning on that uh, visit to India. We reached out to the EIU, the uh, Economist Economist Intelligence Unit. Uh, In fact, we spoke to the principal economist for the Asia region of the EIU, uh, Shalini Mittal, who joined us live on the line a little earlier on, live from India, in fact. And I asked uh, Shalini about the uh, significance of this visit. The two uh, presidents have uh, sat together and discussed various issues to deepen their strategic partnership. And the two countries have actually signed already four memorandums of understanding uh, in the field of renewable energy sector, which aims to increase the renewable capacity to 60 gigawatts, establishment of the food processing parks in India and as well healthcare sector and as well as uh, development of green ports in India. Indication, therefore, of a strengthening uh, yet further of the bilateral agreements. UAE is currently the seventh largest foreign direct investor in India, with a total investment of $17 billion over the last two decades. It's the third largest exporter and importer uh, to the country. Uh, The two countries together share a total trade value of $85 billion. And at the EIU, we expect that to increase to over $100 billion over the next five years. Yeah, those are the thoughts of Shalina Mattel of the EIU talking about um, the uh, ongoing, what's it called? The Vibrant Summit in the, fib- the Vibrant Gujarat 
summit over in India at the moment. Three-day summit, got underway yesterday, going on until the end of the week. Yeah, the Financial Times looks at the name of the summit, and the great and the good are there. Ambani, Adani, and many, many others as well. The first vibrant Gujarat of Amrit Kaal. Said which, carefully. Which is a Sanskrit phrase that means the age of nectar and which Modi has used to describe India's current epoch. Um, and well, we've we got also, an Aklan Modi coming up, haven't we? We have, yes. On the on Valentine's Day, yeah, he's here to open the new temple, isn't he, in Abu Dhabi? Is that right, Tom? Yeah, that's what Shalina was telling us a little bit earlier. Uh, the new Hindu temple down in Abu Dhabi, which has been constructed the last couple of years. Apparently, he is coming for, which was news to me. I didn't realise that, but that's going to be a massive visit. You know, did he pack out the? Was it the Zayed Stadium or the Cricket Stadium or something? I remember going to watch him quite soon after he was elected at the the Cricket Stadium here in Dubai. <laughs> an hour. Of course, all in Hindi because 99% of the time he only speaks in Hindi. Uh, but it was quite the event. It was August. <laughs> so, but I thought, who is this guy? And he's quite the orator. Whatever, if you don't, even if you don't understand the word, even if you don't agree with his politics, and many don't, he is quite the orator. Uh, quite the craze at the moment is the Stanley craze uh, at present. Um, everyone is going crazy for the Stanley tumblers at the moment. What are they called, Brandos? The Stanley Cup. Yeah. What's it? Every time you say Stanley Cup, I think of ice hockey because that's the cup that is competed for. It's it, the Stanley Quencher. It's to the give quencher. it a, a its official term. Um, massive in the US because of TikTok. Massive in the Urquhart household. Yeah, well, I was, we were talking about it a little bit earlier on because apparently you can't get one for love and money at the moment. And it all comes from a little bit of a viral video. Um, it comes from a woman in the US whose car was literally destroyed in a recent fire. It's all up there on the top. Uh, but there was one item that survived, and that was a Stanley Tumber. This was Danielle. She, has, she shared her story on TikTok, posting a video showing the aftermath of a obliterated burnt out car but a video uh, has since gone viral with more than 60 million views why everybody's so concerned about if the stanley spills it's in a fire yesterday it still has ice in it <laughs> that's brilliant not only did the cup survive the ice survived <laughs> it survived within the stanley uh, Stanley's global president, Terence Riley, responded to said video saying they're not only going to send her more Stanley Cups, but they're also going to replace her car as well. So nice little touch from Stanley. I'm looking on one of the, the online retailers here. You can get them in the UAE at the moment, not the pink one for Valentine's Day, because that is just massively in the bomb. But you can get a lilac one that's going to be with you by 6pm today for 199 dirhams. Uh, this is a special one. It's called the Adventure Quencher. <laughs> <laughs> which I quite like. If you want a regular quencher in baby blue, that is yours again by um, 6 p.m. today uh, for 105 of your UAE dirhams. I'm having a look at the most expensive Stanley out there. Um, on the second-hand market, it is the Watermelon Moonshine Quencher. Uh, it's a tie-up, a collab with Lainey Wilson. Had to Google her. She's a country music star. She has a song called Watermelon Moonshine now retailing for 
$215. Uh, LA Times has been reporting about the um, limited edition Starbucks X Stanley um, quencher in the pink and the red that went on sale at Target, the Valentine's one that Rich was referring to there. Um, which, to quote the LA Times, prompted long lines outside Target stores in the dead of night, ugly fights breaking out and shouting matches erupting. It's it's this water bottle market. It's a market I didn't think existed until I looked for a bottle to use some, uh, to bring some water to work this morning. Um, and I found about four cupboards of them in my house, etc. And I, I, I notice it, and it's one of the purchases that I see that my, my daughter, especially my youngest daughter, seems, because... It was, and, and a lot of it's driven by socials, but a lot of it's driven by trends as well. I remember Love Island last year. The Love Island water bottle was a thing, and you had to get your, and you could you could order them online, and they were personalised with your name, etc. And that became a thing. Just look at your latest uh, insight here. Global reusable water bottle market now estimated around about nine point two billion dollars, with a revenue value of thirteen point five billion expected uh, within the next ten years, expanding at a three point nine percent kaga of the next ten years. So. It's not a small market, that's for sure. Now, there's a woman on Instagram here in Dubai who will bedazzle your Starbucks cup for you uh, with crystals. Put your name on it as as well. Um, and I think you get to choose which quencher you would like. That's not cheap. I did look into it for a friend. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Where we are digging into those numbers that Tom just mentioned there in the headlines. Air passenger traffic passing 99% of pre-pandemic levels, but not quite making it up to 100. Uh, those are the IATA numbers. We are speaking to the regional director, Kashif Khalid. Morning, Kashif. Good morning. So how far, obviously, less than 1% off that 100 mark, how far are we actually looking before we pass it? I think it's going to be a few more weeks or uh, at least a month and a half before we pass that 99% number where we're all looking forward to that 100% recovery. But having said that, you know, domestic traffic in, in major markets such as China as well as North America has recovered well beyond the 100% mark. It's just certain markets within Asia Pacific that were slow to open after the pandemic that are bringing down those numbers, but we're confident that with the trajectory that we're seeing, we'll reach that number within the next couple of months. International travel is still 5.5% below, though. What is going to have to happen to, to push it up? And again, when's your gut feel of when we'll get there? So international traffic grows 26.4% versus uh, last year. And uh, as mentioned, Asia Pacific continued to be the strongest uh, uh, you know, results for that uh, when it compares to all regions. But it's still some markets in Asia Pacific have not recovered to their pre-pandemic levels, predominantly the markets in, in China, as well as some intra-Asia connectivity between uh, places such as Japan, uh, Hong Kong, as well as uh, South Korea. Well, the economy features very strongly in both your air passenger and cargo reports. Uh, when it comes to passengers, um, IATA says economic headwinds aren't stopping people from flying. Could they bring ticket prices down, though? Are you starting to see them soften? 
We are starting to see a softening of ticket prices. We are starting to see, you know, irrespective, you know, in the previous months, we saw no matter what those prices were, there was a lot of pent up demand after the pandemic. But in recent months, when we look at the forward looking bookings for the next six months, even though, you know, demand is relatively strong, we are starting to see some of those fares come down, predominantly for large source and origin markets within the region in the Middle East. We're starting to see that between the Indian subcontinent and the UAE. Similarly, within the GCC market, major markets like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and others such as Egypt as well, we are seeing a softening of, of some of those ticket prices. It's it's places such as Europe and North America and the uh, uh, transcontinental route between the UK and Australia that are still commanding some high premium fares. But for major uh, markets, we are starting to see a softening of, of those ticket fares. Well, air cargo, of course, is, is what we look at as a bellwether um, for what's happening in the economy. Uh, the numbers here, strongest growth in roughly two years, the fourth month of, of increases uh, when it comes to cargo demand. How does that chime with current economic concerns? It does correlate quite well because we are seeing a softening of uh, consumer price inflation in major markets such as the US, Japan as well as the EU, uh, looking at the November numbers. And we are seeing that, you know, China exhibited negative annual growth in its CPI for the second time in a row. You're absolutely right. We've seen a, you know, the strongest growth we've seen in cargo for uh, the last two years. We are seeing that inflation somewhat stabilize. But again, you know, we've seen a shift in many of the major economies on how they transport goods and services, especially, uh, you know, the semiconductor industry, technology industry, but more importantly, the pharmaceuticals and other uh, high tech and high value at manufacturing as well. Are you seeing a lift yet in terms of sea capacity being taken to the air? Is what's happening in the Red Sea prompting any sort of change? There is some knock-on effect. The challenges within the Red Sea are having uh, some challenges with respect to shipping times as well as the cost of freight that has to go around, uh, you know, the, the Cape of Good Hope or South Africa. But with perishables as well as high-value add uh, cargo, we are seeing some uh, of the maritime industry shifting over to air cargo uh, when it comes to time-sensitive uh, shipments. But we haven't actually quite quantified what that uh, impact is currently, but we are seeing some uptake of it. Is there usually a lag on that kind of thing? What what do we normally see happen? What do we see happen during COVID, for example, when we had issues with supply chains? So during COVID, we saw that, you know, when passenger numbers fell, immediately the industry shifted towards cargo for shipping face masks as well as uh, vaccines and other other uh, goods and services within the air cargo industry. As, as a result of the challenges within the Red Sea, we are seeing some high value add technology providers use air cargo for time sensitive shipments, as well as uh, looking at the cost of freight and insurance within the Red Sea. We are seeing that air cargo becomes a viable alternative, especially from a time perspective, but also from a cost perspective. When you take into account the insurance premiums as well as the time now that it takes to cross over into major markets like the EU. Could this push up the rates for air cargo? For now, we're seeing that there's enough capacity, uh, given that you know most of the airlines have uh, reinstated their previous network. We're as we're saying, you know, we're we're seeing capacity both for passengers and cargo go up. Currently, we haven't seen those rates go up for air cargo yet because there is ample capacity. But if this trend continues, and potentially within the next few months, we could see a increase in rates within the region. Okay, well, all eyes on Boeing at the moment. Um, that company-wide meeting yesterday talking about a quality escape, uh, the terminology being used there for the uh, the blowout on the Alaskan Airlines flight. What is IATA looking at and, and what kind of questions are you asking? 
So from an industry perspective, IATA takes safety as our number one priority. We're working very closely with the likes of Boeing and our member airlines to ensure that they work with uh, global safety re regulators such as the NTSB and the FAA in the U.S. to understand what went uh, wrong and what could be done to further strengthen security. We are keeping an eye on which airlines operate those fleet variants within the region as well as globally to understand if there's any safety issues that we need to take into account. But we remain subservient to the regulators in the U.S. as well as those uh, within the region based on their safety directives at this point in time. Is there a concern that more concerns about the uh, MAX aircraft um, or indeed longer delays getting uh, craft flying again could have an impact on routes, capacity? Well, within the region, we're, when we look at the 737 MAX, there's not a lot of operators that operate that variant of the aircraft. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's only three or four aircrafts within the Africa Middle East region that operate the variant that is affected as a result of the Alaska Airlines incident. But there is an overall concern. But having said that, over the last couple of years, the Boeing 737 MAX has been in the spotlight so much that, you know, with global safety regulators, airlines, you know, continuously improving how that aircraft is is operated, I think it, it, it there there is the you know, the possibility that the MAX will become one of the safest aircrafts given its history, and but, but also the focus that the regulators globally have based on operators to ensure that they comply with the safety directives. Akash of Khaled is the Regional Director for IATA. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Talking of currencies, many being transferred uh, in order for people to come to the UAE and more specifically to Dubai. Uh, quote, everything feels extra spectacular in Dubai. It's a place where if you can dream it, you can do it. Not my words, but those of TripAdvisor, who have recently crowned uh, Dubai the most popular destination in the world for the third year running at the TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Awards for Destinations. Uh, that news comes as a huge um, a bonus uh, and, of course, um, a matter of pride, I'm sure, for the Senior Vice President of Operations at Dubai's Department of Economy and Tourism, DET. Uh, Hur Al-Khaja joins us now live on the line and happy to say l via Microsoft Teams this morning. Hur, thanks so much indeed for being with us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Uh, congratulations on yet another number one global destination ranking. What does this mean for you and the team at the DET? So I think, uh, thank you very much. It's We're very proud of this achievement. I think it's so much bigger than just me and the team DET. It's really a testament to His Highness's 2033 uh, D33 vision um, to make Dubai one of the best cities in the world to visit, to live in, to invest in. And the reason why this accolade specifically is super special is because it's the it's the first time any city in the world has achieved it for three years in a row. Uh, this is unprecedented in TripAdvisor history, and it really is a testament to what Dubai can offer as a city. It's interesting as well, isn't it? Because as you well, well know, there are no shortage of these rankings, top tens, awards being handed out uh, around the world. But this one is special. I mean, it comes from not only a very reputable brand, but it also comes from... Uh, the reviews identified based on the quality and the quantity of reviews from individuals. And that means a lot, doesn't it? Yes, as you rightfully mentioned, you know, there's no shortage of accolades um, and Dubai is one to to collect quite a few. And you're absolutely right. The reason this one is super special is that there is no way to, um, how do I say, to kind of uh, manipulate this um, or, or, or try to 
achieve it in a certain way. It's purely done by the users on TripAdvisor. It is by the people for the people. It's based on the number of uh, reviews that people put on the website. It's based on the quality of reviews, and they have a bunch of other aggregates that they put together. But it's essentially people speaking for themselves and saying, you know, this is the the city that, you know, the most city that's been visited and the most city that's been reviewed in terms of attractions and eateries and such. So really, it's uh, it's a great testament to the number of visitors that have been coming to Dubai and, and enjoying the experiences in Dubai. You're right to mention the, the aggregate element there because they judge these awards and these accolades on a number of different um, foundations, be that arts, be that culture, be that food or others. How important is it to you and the team at the DET to say, and maintain that balance across all of those aggregates? So it's extremely important because um, Dubai's positioning is that there's something for everyone. Um, We're a a year-round city. Um, We cater to all kinds of different demographics, whether it's families, couples, single travelers, women, because, you know, obviously safety is one of our um, highest, uh, um, uh, basically, attributes in the UAE and Dubai in particular. So we do cater to everyone in different tastes, even different budgets. And so being able to represent what the city has to offer everywhere from entertainment to culture to edutainment for families to um, nightlife to gastronomy, um, this is one of the key things that we do year round. And we're really proud that this is, you know, we're able to portray that through accolades such as this one. One thing that always fascinates me is the fact that um, despite the number of accolades that come through, including, of course, this one, it's nice to get one at the beginning of a brand new year as well. Um, it's, it's always driven back towards the DEA, the Dubai Economic Agenda, because it's this coming together, it's this collaboration from a number of different departments, another, a number of different entities to deliver an unbridled product. I mean, one of Dubai's strongest USPs, in my humble opinion, is that we are able to, the the entire city, uh, whether we're talking about the public sector or the private sector, is able to come together and work towards a unified vision to their own, you know, personal benefits as well, obviously, as as private entities, as government entities. Um, And that unified vision in this case is His Highness's D33 agenda, which is, again, uh, just to repeat, to make this the best city in the world to live, to work, to move to. Um, And so accolades like this one only further reaffirm that we're already, you know, well on our way there. Um, If if I may also share one uh, one number that is, you know, we're we're wrapping up with. You had a gentleman on the show talking about air capacity and how globally we've only reached 99 percent of 2019 figures in Dubai. Just looking at January to November 2023, we still haven't gotten the final numbers with December tally. We're already two percent above 2019. So we've already surpassed pre-pandemic levels. We don't even talk about pandemic anymore. We compare ourselves to 2022. We're 20% above 2022. And we're very looking forward to see what the full 2023 figures will look like. Um, it will surely be a record year for Dubai. And uh, and we're well on our way for His Highness's vision. I'm really glad you asked that because I wanted to just touch on that one because the data that you have to hand and of course, uh, the drive to bring more people into the country, obviously, with regional developments ongoing at the moment, um, question marks about inbound tourism. But from the data and the figures you're seeing, at the moment, 2024 looking to be a good start? Excellent start. We couldn't have asked for a better start. Um, So again, 2% above uh, 2019 figures already. When we look at January to November of 23, we're still waiting for the final 
tally with the December numbers computed in. So it's an excellent start. But as you know, in true Dubai fashion, um, it only means that um, His Highness and the city are going to expect uh, bigger and better results for 2024. Uh, we certainly expect those results to be delivered on as well. Uh, really appreciate your time this morning. Well, thanks so much indeed to you uh, for joining us live on the line, live via Microsoft Teams. Congratulations yet again on receiving that accolade. Crown the number one global destination in the TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Awards for the third consecutive year. First city in the world to ever have done that over three years. Is the Senior Vice President, Operations at Dubai's Department of Economy and Tourism. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we not only have the Managing Director of Espace Real Estate, John Lyons, but also his market overview for the second half of last year, which shows some interesting and in some cases surprising trends. John, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Brandy. Thank you for having me. Let's start with trend number one, shall we? Um, Which is an interesting correlation uh, between the rising values, which we all know about and we've spoken uh, to you about last year and the year before, and transaction volumes in some areas in Dubai. Yes, so the trend continues where we're seeing significant increases in rental prices across the majority of communities tracked by our report. 27 out of the 30 communities that we track have seen rental increases and they're quite significant. Hang on, are we talking about rents? Can we start with sales? Oh, sales to start. Okay, well, sales transaction volumes increase, secondary markets up. 20% more transactions in the second half of last year compared to the same period the previous year. And 10% more transactions compared to H1 2023. That's in the secondary market. In the off-plan market, we saw 39% more transactions compared to the same period in 2022 and 21% more than H1. So across both sectors of the market, big increases in transaction volume. But what are we seeing when it comes to new affordable neighbourhoods versus the more established central neighbourhoods? So when you look at the communities you can see that many of the communities, well-established communities, have actually seen reduced levels of activity in H2 compared to the same period last year. And I think what that tells us is that the more established areas where prices have become quite elevated are now less appealing when compared to more affordable communities where there is still, still perceived to be greater value. For example, a community like Mira out in the Al-Qudra corridor, where there is perceived to be great value, 49% more transactions in H2 compared to the same period the previous year. So what what we think we're seeing is people looking for that greater value elsewhere, and they're willing to make sacrifice on location in order to get the greater value. One number when it came to what you're seeing in the sales market, and it's what you guys are seeing, it's Espace's own numbers, um, in this report was about price reductions. A 30% increase in price reductions in the second half of last year compared to the year before. What are you taking from that? So you have to look at that number also alongside the number of listings that we've got. So it is usually the case that people go on a price discovery journey when they list their property to sell. They do usually start a little bit high, ambitious, and then they will find the level as they go through the listing journey. So we've seen an increase in listings and we've seen an increase in price reductions. But I think it also tells a story that in many of the key communities that we work in, you are seeing 
community-wide ambitious price levels which need to be realigned in order to see transactions take place, which is what we've seen. Are sellers having to start managing their expectations? Sellers have to, sellers have to be realistic. They can still sell their property for levels that are higher than what would have been the case this time last year. But some communities, you see sellers wanting significant increases that are not available. So yes, sellers have to recognize that although it's a very buoyant market, it's not one that lacks logic completely. You still have to price at a level where buyers are willing to pay the price. And in some communities, you do see that it takes a bit of time for sellers to understand that. Okay, well, let's look at the rental markets. Um, very interesting, as you, you started to discuss there. Where it comes to the average rental prices year on year, uh, H2 last year compared to the year before, no surprise, largely green arrows across the board. What is a little bit unusual, we're not used to seeing red arrows, and yet I'd estimate three quarters uh, when it comes to both apartment rentals and villa and townhouse rentals, in fact, higher on the villa and townhouse rentals. In terms of transaction volumes, are red arrows. What's the story? Yeah, so in 25 out of the 30 communities that we track, we've seen reduced levels of rental activity. So there's less rent contracts being signed in H2 compared to the same period the previous year. That is actually a trend that we did see emerge last year in some of our quarterly reports, where when you see prices in the rental market going up dramatically, and out of those 30 communities, I should note that 27 of the communities saw significant price increases in the rental market. So you've seen prices move higher and demand reduce. And that, I think, tells us a story that, which is what we see anecdotally as well, which is that many tenants are not willing to play that game and they want to become homeowners if they can. But it's not just the new contracts where we're seeing a drop in uh, signings, but it's also renewals. People need to live somewhere. Not everyone can afford to buy. Where are they going? Yes. Yeah, so I think that you're right. The, the renewals and the new contracts are down. So overall, there's less rental activity. I do see a lot of tenants who have been tenants for a long time becoming homeowners and they are doing that because if they're paying 20% more this year compared to last year, which is what is the case for many people living in well-known villa townhouse communities or in apartment markets, it's slightly lower, but in round numbers, it's around that 15, 16, 17% increase level. We are experiencing many tenants who are saying, we're not going to be tenants anymore. We're going to become buyers. And the sacrifice they quite often make is that they move a little bit further out of the city to make that work. What else could we take from these arrows? Could it suggest that people who have bought houses in the last year are finally getting to move into them? Yes, well, I think the other thing that we should take from the the reduced levels of rental activity is not only that tenants have a greater incentive to become homeowners if they can afford to do so, but that landlords see the current high pricing as a good opportunity to sell those properties. And I do think that we're seeing a, a rotation of stock, housing stock from the rental market where a lot of communities have lots of landlords, now that's transitioning more towards a community that has more homeowners in it, which is probably a good sign for the market. So landlords are choosing now as a time to sell, some of them, and that's reducing the amount of stock that's on the market for rent. Could it also suggest, and I mean, you will know what you've seen in terms of registrations and searches and the rest of it at Espace, that our big population surge was actually in the second half of 22 rather than 23? I don't think so, because I think that if 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 there was 
a reduced level of underlying demand, we wouldn't see the rental prices rising the way we are. And we also wouldn't see the big picture story, which is 20% more transactions in the sales market, secondary market, and 39% more transactions in the off-plan market. So I think the secondary market is probably the more relevant market to look at there, but 20% more transactions in H2, 23 compared to the same period, 22, and 10% more than H1 wouldn't really tell a story, I don't think, of reduced levels of population growth. I've got 20 seconds left with you. One outlier, one red arrow in amongst those rental prices, and that's Town Square. What's the story? Good question. I'm also wondering the same. I haven't looked into that in any more detail yet, but you're right to point out that that's the one area out of the 30 communities, that's the one area where we see a slightly different trend and it would be certainly worth looking into why are prices down there in the rental market that would be a question that we would like to know the answer to we'll we'll get back to you on that john lyons managing director of espace real estate this is the bite-sized business breakfast exclusively on dubai i 1038.com you've been listening to a dubai i 103.8 podcast to enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.